Thank you, Ryan. I was worried that two Tennessee fans sitting so close together up here would, the sadness would create a sort of black hole that turns in on itself and we would all be swallowed up. So I'm glad that we're safe. Um, it's great to be here. Um, I know that you've been in Hosea, so this will be a quick palate cleanser um, from some of the intensity of that book. And uh, just to echo Ryan, my wife and I and our family moved here a little over a year ago, uh, but it's been a pretty strange year. So uh, I would love to um, talk more with you uh, out in the fellowship hall after this. Some of you we've gotten to know really well, and uh, some of you we're a little more uh, wet cement our relationship. So uh, I'd love to solidify names and faces and greet you uh, after the service informally. My family's going to be at the 1030, so they may not be out there. But Psalm 103 is what we're going to look at. It's on page 7 of your bulletin. Let me read it for us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word never goes out and returns to you empty. That it always accomplishes its purposes, your purposes. And we pray that that would be so this morning. That you would work that in our hearts, through your spirit, and to your glory. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, uh, I mentioned, like many of you, we have had a a wild ride, in particular in the last six months or so of the pandemic, and and really in particular uh, since August, since 
TCU um, started again and students came back. And uh, what we have experienced as a ministry is that there have been a lot of restrictions. There are group size restrictions. There are places we can meet restrictions. There are uh, what we can do restrictions. And there are students who uh, in a normal year would have been in our home maybe 10 times by now who have not been in our home. There are students that I know really, really well whose faces I have not even seen yet this year, always behind a mask. And uh, it's been difficult. And so the feeling that, that I have felt more than anything uh, for myself and for the ministry of RUF at TCU, if I could put it into a phrase, is I have felt hemmed in, hemmed in. You may have felt this, probably have yourself uh, in this time, this feeling of no matter where I turn and, and no matter what I want to do, I, it's like there's a wall there. I just can't, I can't do it. And then I think, well, what if we try this and I turn there and there's another wall and we can't do that either. Uh, case in point, something as simple as s'mores. Uh, we wanted to have um, s'mores over a fire pit with some students. And uh, the, according to the restrictions, we can't have anything that is not individually packaged from a commercial kitchen. So I'm like, man, I, we have to get little packets of graham crackers and marshmallows and chocolate uh, from a commercial kitchen. Where do you even do that? And so... Um, uh, I say all that, of course, with the utmost respect for the good people at TCU that are keeping everybody safe. And so on the one hand, we submit gladly and follow those rules. And on the other hand, we wish that we could do more. I wish that I was unhindered. And that is part of what makes this psalm so poignant to me right now is that it's a picture of a God who is completely unhindered, who is not hemmed in in any way. This psalm is like news, good news from a distant land, a, a blessed, maskless, sanitizerless, just wild and free land, the land of the one true God. Verse 19 says, uh, who reigns from his throne in the heavens where his kingdom rules over all, where he is blessed forever and forever. Amen and amen. Uh, it actually puts me in mind of a poem from uh, George Herbert on prayer. And I'd like to read it to you before we jump into the text. I think it'll set the mood a little bit. And the poem is about prayer, but I think it applies more broadly to, to God himself. Prayer, the church's banquet, angel's age, God's breath in man returning to his birth, the soul in paraphrase, heart in pilgrimage, the Christian plummet sounding heaven and earth, engine against the Almighty, sinner's tower, reverse thunder, Christ's side piercing spear, the six days world transposing in an hour, a kind of tune which all things hear and fear, softness and peace and joy and love and bliss, exalted manna, gladness of the best, heaven in ordinary, man well dressed, the Milky Way, the bird of paradise, church bells beyond the stars heard, the soul's blood, the land of spices, something understood. 
I feel like Psalm 103 comes to us from a land of eternal spices, if we could put it that way, a sort of banquet land beyond the stars where God lives and reigns and wields total power and goodness and strength and mercy. And so this psalm, I think, has the power to reorient us towards that God in a time of great Need So we are going to jump in. Fair warning, there are not three points in the sermon. This is just a running enjoyment of Psalm 103. It is a psalm of David, but it is a little bit less Davidic in the ways that we normally think of Davidic psalms. Um, oftentimes, of course, his psalms are closely tied to a scenario in his own life. Uh, one commentator, Derek Kidner, says the tone here is less harassed by enemies and private guilt. It's the type of psalm that David might have written in a a reflective mood when the world around him faded out, I like to think, late at night, uh, strumming on the harp, perhaps. We don't know, of course. But what we do know is that Psalm 103 puts a a laser beam focus, uh, like a high-powered scope on God. And we could argue, of course, that all psalms are about God. Of course, that, that is true. But this one is particularly fixed. And commentators say it's a, an exercise in sheer concentration or a great piling of words about God, about who he is and what he has done. This psalm reminds me of being with a, a newborn baby You know this feeling? Uh, When you hold a baby for the first time, especially if it's your own or if it's a grandchild, then you become a sort of professional baby inspector. We all have this baby inspector in us that that comes out when you're in the hospital room and you're holding the baby and you notice the baby's nose and eyes and ears, the little peach fuzz on there. And so you examine this baby narrowly but also more broadly, wondering what will this child be like and, and where will God lead this child and so on. And so David looks on the Lord, I think, in this way. And he begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So David turns his whole inward being towards God in praise. And he repeats for emphasis, bless the Lord, Oh, my soul and goes on speaking to himself, speaking to his own soul, saying, forget not all his benefits. And what are they? Verse three, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is high, high praise and four times. David repeats all, he wants all that is within him to praise the God of all benefits who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. I appreciate how um, unnuanced this is. Uh, Our world is very gray right now, right? It's hard to tell sometimes what is wise and what is unwise and what is safe and what is unsafe and... Uh, what David is teaching us here is that when we praise God, we can be totally unhindered. 
We don't need any of that caution. We can throw it to the wind and we can, with all of ourselves, praise all of God with all of our being. When I think about this type of unhinderedness, caution to the wind, I always think of my son, uh, Weldon, who is six now. And uh, back in Arkansas, we lived there for six years, Conway, Arkansas, and did RUF there. And our house backed up to uh, an elementary school, or actually an elementary school playground, which was very convenient. And um, one particular, my son was probably three or four years old, particular fall evening, Friday night, um, this school behind us was having their fall festival. And so on the playground, uh, from our kitchen, I could see over the fence and and. It, all across the playground, you could see like just the, uh, the greatest delights that a four-year-old could possibly imagine were all out there. This huge bounce house, pony rides, funnel cakes, just madness. You know that sound when, when there's a, a, a whole bunch of kids really having fun and I took him through the backyard and I took him to the back gate and I I threw it open. And he looked out and and saw all of it. And he got this look on his face, which was less joy and more just intensity of desire. And he just took off running. Uh, I heard Darwin say last week that in the new creation, uh, uh, it's going to, the creation is going to throw off, break out of its leg braces. I think he said like Forrest Gump running. And that's exactly what happened. He just took off this intensity, this shades of uh, Pilgrim's Progress when Christian is, is running and he's yelling life, life, eternal life. That bounce house, that pony, uh, those funnel cakes, that was the life that my son wanted. And he, he took off. He left me in the dust. His whole being was, was running to grab a hold of it. And that is what this song calls us to in praise. That kind of um, intensity of grabbing hold of this thing of God. And this psalm reminds us that th- that, that is the ultimate thing. The, the life, life, eternal life that we want is in God himself on his throne in his proper place. But then shockingly, in verse 4, he stoops to crown you with steadfast love and mercy. Another commentator says these are are two sides of God's divine love. His mercy, his compassion on the one hand, his passionate love in all its emotional content. And then his steadfast love, his, his committed, his covenantal love, set and determined and fixed. Like the Jesus Storybook Bible says, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. What a strange thing, by the way, um, to hear and believe in this God who, if we sort of jump back just a little bit, verse 3, heals all your diseases, even as our world is ravished by a disease. Um, And it's interesting here that in one verse we read of iniquity and diseases, spiritual and physical, in in one verse here. 
And uh, we know that there's a difference in how God deals with those two things. That spiritually, in and through Christ, God is always ready to forgive. He, he does it instantly. He's never begrudgingly. So that by grace and, and through faith, God is always the father that, that hikes up his robe and runs out to meet us. But diseases, many of you know better than me, God often treats differently. And Derek Kidner points out, if relationship with God is paramount, then this makes sense. For sin destroys our relationship with God while suffering deepens it. And so often we are just left waiting um, and uh, are certainly waiting now for the redemption of our bodies. The surety is there. We know that God will heal. We hope it is in this life, but we know that he'll heal certainly in the one to come. So David looks at this healing, this redemption, historically in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of God. He's talking about the great story of the Exodus, uh, God saving his undeserving people, his grouchy and grumbling and sinful people, just like us, and guarding and guiding them into a new land, into the promised land, And then he quotes almost verbatim in verse 8, the self-definition of God from Exodus 34, when God passed before Moses, a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then verses 9 through 12, I really think are some of the most beautiful in all of the Psalms. I'll read it and, and then we'll go back and consider it. David crescendos his thoughts about God and about his steadfast love and mercy in this way. Verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen, right? Now, uh, this chiding in, in verse 9 has a connotation of someone bringing a suit against another. But David tells us that, that God does not do that with his people. Though, though he could bring a, a just suit against every one of us in Christ, he doesn't nurse his wrath in that way. His, his mercy and his grace are too eager for that. And so we see verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not deal with us according to our sins. We can meditate on, on that for a long time. That, that God who, who knows our sins, who sees everything that we do that is wrong, everything we fail to do that is right, and yet in Christ that the hammer does not fall. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities, it says. There's another, uh, another fine distinction here that sins here are the actual commissions and omissions, while uh, iniquities points to that, that hidden warp uh, or defect in our nature that plays itself out in, in sin. In other words, though you are bad, God treats you as if you were good. God treats you in Christ as if you were good. He has mercy 
Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is one of those parts of scripture where the, the words, the poetry are so measured and so beautiful that you almost don't want to add anything to it. But what David is getting at, of course, is the immeasurability of God's love. How, how high is it as far as the heavens are above the earth? How uh, far is it as far as the east is from the west? My wife, Christine, and I met uh, in Colorado at a, a Young Life backpacking camp called Wilderness Ranch. And uh, we would read this psalm to high school students on the Continental Divide as you stand up there and you look and, and you cannot see the end of the east and west. It was very powerful. And if you think about the, the Continental Divide, the, the watershed that, that runs from... Um, did a little research from Cape Prince of Wales in Alaska. And it goes down through the Canadian Rockies and into the U.S. in northwestern Montana and, and down through and, and through Mexico and through Chihuahua and Durango and a whole lot of places that I cannot pronounce. And all down through the high peaks of the Andes in South America, all the way to the southern end of Patagonia in, in Terra del Fuego. Why do I name all those places? Because even the great continental divide, it has a beginning and an end, north and south. It's got limits. But this psalm deals with east and west. It deals with uh, something different, not geography, but a, a sort of spiritual distance, these immeasurable compass points of God's love. Something we can't even wrap our minds around. And that is a great comfort to me. And I hope that it is to you too. This measurability. Because in our time right now, it seems like everything is being measured. That uh, everything's being measured by uh, just sort of one nose swab at a time, right? And, and hospitalizations and ICU beds and deaths. And pretty soon it will be measured in votes. But from his throne above all measurement, God pours forth, he dispenses this love that has no beginning and no end. It cannot be measured. And this is good news. It's the best news because of a love that is so vast and eternal must have a, a vast and eternal importance to us. That, that you and I being sinners and having that, that warp of sin in us and, and having piled up sins just day in and day out against the king of our world can come before the throne of grace, come before our king, and he will not see our sin. However far east is from, from west cannot be measured. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. The only way to explain how that happens is through Jesus. 
And the implication of, of God's love here is that it prevails or it, or it dominates like a warrior in, in prowess. And we can compare it to Genesis 7, on the other end of the spectrum, where uh, the flood prevailed and covered and dominated. In other words, your sins, though they be many, though they have weighed on you this week, I know that mine have, though they may weigh on you this morning, they are prevailed on, they are covered, they are dominated by a God who stoops so low as to become one of us and who stepped into a world every bit as uncertain as our world feels right now and even dangerous, I would say, and piled up acts of love and mercy and kindness and fulfillment of the law, and then who died the atoning death that unleashed this great flood of grace and mercy on us. And if you've repented and believed and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then God's judgment on you is is that your sins, remember, he doesn't see that they are gone. It's more than just that they're out of his field of vision or they're sort of behind his back. It's that they've they've been drowned. They've been consumed in the waters of his love. And so more than that, even, we receive on the other end of that a crown instead of condemnation, a crown of steadfast love that goes everywhere with us, even into the, the darkest places. That is the best news on earth. It has to be, or anywhere else besides earth, that um, uh, there is hope in the, the pain and the suffering of your story these last few months and in my story, the, the pain of loneliness and financial hardship and longing for life to go back to normal, of being hemmed in, of being cut off from, from people that we love and things that we love. And it's interesting, you know, I mentioned that the tone of this psalm is a little less harassed than uh, maybe normal, and yet it, it speaks so poignantly to those of us who feel harassed who feel harassed by the news, by the decisions that we have to make, by fear and uh, longing for our loved ones, by just the weight of this painful year. And that is why the next picture here is so beautiful in, in verse 13, a picture of God as a father who shows compassion to his children. For he knows our frame, Verse 14, he remembers that we are dust and our days are like grass. We might say that God knows our frame and he knows our name. He knows the, the warp of sin in all of us and he knows the, the pressures of our times. And uh, he knows too, though, our, our name. He knows our stories and, and he meets us in them as, as our father. J.I. Packer, uh, recently gone to be with the Lord, said that if you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, then ask them what they think about having God as their father. The thought of being God's child, our adoption into this great king's family, and our, our access to his throne room, 
That is our, our highest privilege. It makes me feel like we have um, a BBC God. If you remember, some of you may have seen this, some of you not. Uh, in uh, 2017, before all of us began working from home and this became much more commonplace, scenes like this, there was a, a professor, his name was Robert Kelly, and he became known as BBC Dad from this viral video that, that came out. Um, he was giving expert testimony on a very serious political situation in South Korea at the time. And he was doing it from his home office. And uh, his then four-year-old daughter, Marion, came into his office on the live TV on the BBC with what um, the professor later called a hippity-hoppity strut. Um, I would argue this is a triumph of democracy, he was saying. When little Marion, she's wearing glasses and a a yellow sweater, um, came in and she's pumping her elbows and sort of half walking, half dancing, and she's totally oblivious to her father's coat and tie and his, his somber words on geopolitics. She was just coming to see her daddy. And even better than that, the, the baby of the family came in right behind her, one of those little walkers. And then the professor's wife, God bless her, came in and, and sort of tore them out of the way while, while he was trying to continue the interview and sort of uh, pushing them out of the way. You can watch it for yourself. But the question is, what do you think about being God's child, of, of having this infinite and eternal and unchangeable and all-powerful God as your father and having the door to him always unlocked, of having complete access to him in grace, we could probably all stand to be a little more like four-year-old Marion or like my son running out to the festival because God's door is unlocked. He delights in you, this BBC God. And his love isn't even limited to this world because, David says, verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower and then is gone. And we know that in 2020 full well, right? That, that our days are numbered. But verse 17 is the contrast. We, we might be flowers and dust and grass, gone with a stiff breeze. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. In other words, God remains faithful to his people, to his little children. He never tires of doing good to them. Because verse 19, he has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And so therefore, even now, we can join with David as he closes out Psalm 103, calling all things to praise God. And he saves perhaps the most important for last, his own soul. He's preaching to himself as we should. And he calls us once again, and finally, to praise God with abandon, with just unhindered by our situation, by uh, our fears and doubts and insecurities, unhindered even by our own sin, because he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. So we'll close with this. I'm not going to add anything to it. We'll let it 
preach itself. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that... um, that you are so good and kind and, and powerful that you would stoop to meet us, to bring us into your family as little children um, and forgive us and, and see our sin no more. What an incredible gift and, and blessing of grace. And we pray that uh, you would teach us to love you more in that and to grow, to change, to worship you uh, without any hindrance and to be formed more and more into your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.